There we go. Well, guys, we're live. Welcome, everybody. My name is Rolf Smelz, Managing Director of uh, Ritualization. I hear sound, so that's good. Uh, with me is Alan Benar and Jasper Zelenberg. First, Jasper Zelenberg, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is Jasper. I'm the founder of Retailization. And I founded the company when I felt I had enough evidence that better supply chain decisions are not just possible, but also very valuable. And that was in 2010, after I spent 15 years in the fashion and sporting goods industry. A lot has changed since then. Personally, I'm always looking for better ways, uh, things to be done in a better way. And because of all the changes that we've seen, uh, especially recently, uh, I'm looking forward to these sessions to explore uh, how they will help us make supply chains faster and better. So yeah, I look forward to uh, the next few sessions. Good. Alan. Hi, everyone. My name is Alan Barnard. I'm co-founder of Goldberg Research Labs, which I co-founded in 2009 with Dr. Ellie Goldratt, a creator of sharing constraints and best-selling author of books like The Goal. Our research lab is really focused on helping people make better, faster decisions when it really matters. I have personal experience like Jasper. I was a long time, over a decade, in fast-moving consumer goods, so built up a lot of practical experience of many of the challenges that are being faced by retailers and distributors and manufacturers out there to try and always have the right product available at the right time, the right location and the right price. And so I'm really looking forward to sharing some insights and answering many of the questions I'm sure that the audience have got. Good. In the meantime, my audio is correct now and I will figure out how we can see the comments from the audience. Of course, this is our first time, so we figure it out. The subject of this session is uh, MinMax, EOQ, DD, MRP, DBM, or something like AI will help us in uh, supply chains. And uh, maybe it's first a good idea to explain a little bit what all these terms are all about. MinMax, EOQ, DD, MRP, who wants to take a shot at this? We all know that when you're trying to manage your company, you should follow a systems approach, right? You should follow a holistic approach. And the question is, what does a system look like? And it's just made up of a couple of parts. So the first part is there's a goal that we're trying to achieve. So for a retailer, you're trying to maximize your profitability and ROI and cash flow. And in order to do that, you're trying to maximize sales, reduce cost, and reduce investment. So that's the goal of the system. What's the second part? The second part is what's the things that you're going to be making and selling to achieve that goal if it's a for-profit. So that's the work that you do, the products or services. Uh, then you have the resources that is needed to create the work. And finally, you have the rules by which you are managing the resources and the flow of the work. So what we're talking about today is these are all leverage points in the system. If you want to achieve more of the goal, those are the things that you can change. You can change your product mix or service mix, for example. You can change the resources that you are deploying, get more or less of these resources. But by far the biggest leverage point that is very commonly overlooked is the rules that you use to manage the work. And that is really what we're going to be talking about today is these acronyms that we started off with are just names for different rules of managing the inventory. So you typically have two broad spectrums. You have forecast-driven rules like min-max and EOQ or economic order quantity. 
that is really triggering the production or replenishment of a product based on a forecast that has been put together. You also have demand-driven rules like demand-driven MRP, like lean and like theory of constraints, where the replenishment or the first order is not triggered by a forecast, but by actual consumption of products. So that's really what we're going to be talking about today is for your specific business, whether you're a retailer or distributor or even a manufacturer upstream, mm-hmm. you have many, many options of managing the inventory and the resources in your supply chain. How do you know which of these are the best? Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, if there are better way of doing it than what you're currently doing, is the gap between switching significant enough to justify the investment and time and money to change the rules. Yeah. Sometimes you can change the rules with almost no cost, just ticking a little box on your IT system and saying, rather than using min-max, I want to switch over to economic order quantity. But sometimes Mm -hmm. the new rules might not be supported in your IT system and you might have to invest in a new IT system. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to be talking about today. Many options. How do I decide which option is best for and then, of course, you have uh, what we see also with uh, with customers, get merchandisers and replenishers. They're using, all, of course, the most used tool at all, uh, all every time is Excel. So they are doing then all kind of min-max, EUQ, built into their Excel sheet and try to make the best out of it. And there's a lot of reality kicking in because there, as you mentioning always, there's always a rule to break the rules. And... Uh, Therefore, I believe that Excel is still used in in most places that we encounter. The other thing is that we see is AI is coming up now and everybody believes that AI is the next, uh, the silver bullet that's hitting us. So many people are now, uh, and also customers we see are investing now in AI to to get it there. What is AI doing in this, uh, in this field? What can it do? You cannot ask ChatGPT what will be the, the number of white shirts that will be sold tomorrow in London in the shop. So how does that work? How can AI encounter this? Yes. If we think about the types of rules that we can get, there's three types. The first one is a heuristic or what we commonly refer to as a rule of thumb, which is a a very simple rule, requires very little data. So if you think about something like min-max, the only data I need is some kind of calculation that tells me what is the minimum level at which I want to trigger an order? Maybe when I drop down to three units, I want to trigger an order. And what's the maximum level? So 10. So I wait until I get to three and I place an order of seven up to 10 units on my display. That's a very simple rule. You get this next level is algorithms, which is like heuristics, but they're more precise. They require more data. So for example, economic order quantity, I want to see, can I come up with a better rule by also considering the holding cost of my inventory and also the actual ordering cost of my inventory? So they require much more data. And the question is, will they give you better results than what something like a min-max policy will do? And then the third level is AI, where there's no specific formula. So it's very hard for human beings to look at AI, it's a black box. We don't know actually how it would respond. When will it place orders? How much will it order? 
when will it change the way that it's placing orders? We basically just give it a lot of data and say, train on this data of what's happened in the past and see if we can come up with a better way. But the only way to really get insight into how that AI is operating is by simulating it and seeing what it's actually doing on your inventory levels. So there's an expectation that AI is better, and sometimes it is, but it suffers from the same problems that human beings suffer from. As there could be biases in the training data, so it could pick up biases. It might not be able to anticipate changes in demand or supply, things that humans might know about. Uh, and so those are Broadly speaking, the free we can use AI to come up with better forecasts, but you can't really accurately forecast at the product location. You can accurately forecast at quite a high level at aggregation points like distribution centers or for whole style, yeah. but for specific product location, it's mathematically not possible to forecast accurately. So if people have this expectation that AI is going to magically get they forecast accuracy from 50%, which is quite common in fast-moving goods, up to the 80s or 90%, where it starts making a bit difference. They might be unpleasantly surprised that it's not able to do that. Of course, we always try to forecast as accurately as possible. That's one way of deploying AI. The second way is getting AI to try on past data and see if it can come up with a better rule of managing the inventory. But there it's also a bit scary because the only time you know is when you put it in practice and see what it does and it might over or under order. Yeah, well, I see there, there's a big point. Eh? So in, in real life, you have to test it. So if you have a solution, then you have to test it in real life. And you talk to, yeah, you're talking about fast movers, but we see there's a long tail in retail. With, with slow movers, so things are not moving at all. That means that the numbers that you have, the N in statistics is very low, and therefore you cannot predict it on a certain location with a certain SKU because of low numbers. So there's the real problem there, and how do you come to act on it? And uh, even if you have a system that can predict, and then you throw it in real life, and then you have, of course, and then I come back to my point of the merchandise, they are there, they're looking at the data, only two, that cannot be for that job. Uh, there needs to be 10 or something like that. So you see all the time overriding of the rules. Uh, the algorithm is giving an answer and you're overriding it because you always like to have people in place that feel the, what's going on in the stores and overriding it all the time. And that's what we see often is that even if you have a machine in place, you invest an awful lot of money and a lot of time, you tailor it and then you get into the real situation. You cannot trust the system and you interfere all the time with it. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about the rules. We're comparing the rules. I think those rules have slightly different objectives. If you take one of them, yeah, EOQ is about minimizing the cost, for example. There are other rules that try to do different things. But when we look at those rules, we can calculate which one will win at any given time for any one SKU. Um, but there are other things about those rules. I think how easy they are to comply with, for example, is something that we are learning only now. That's the compliance to the rule has to be feasible. I think in many cases, it also needs to make sense. Otherwise, there will be no compliance. So how do we secure, once we know the rule, and this is a question, it's actually almost a rhetorical question, um, uh, how do we make sure that we actually follow those rules? I think one of the most important things for any business is when they look at their measurements. We are used to measure 
performance. We have lag measurements like the profitability and ROI and cash flows and sales, et cetera. And then we have lead measurements like reliability, due date performance, on time in full, et cetera. But most companies don't actually measure compliance. And that to me, is, is, especially in the retail and distribution level, is you want to be measuring compliance to say, if you've invested in a specific strategy, forecast-driven, demand-driven, and you've invested in IT systems that can help you to implement and automate those new rules, if you're not measuring how frequently people are complying or not complying, if you're not getting the results that you expected, you will never know is it because you're using the wrong rules or you're using the right rules, but people are just not compliant? Maybe like rules say, would be yeah. counterintuitive to follow the rules all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why I like what you said is that you test it and with a simulation, it's actually some sort of backtest of reality. And then you go to real life and then you'll find out there are different things than we thought that would happen. And then you have to figure out what it is and very Quickly, you have to, again, simulate it. If you see that the results are better, then you apply it and then you make sure it's there. So then you say, what you need to do is never try to change it in real life, but always come up with new rules, test it very quickly and put it into production. So it's always that the machine is coming up with the number and you should leave, you should leave it to the machine and let it run and always tweak on, the, on that machine. That's how you should do it. And then you have the compliance me metric. We know, okay, we're 100% compliant. We do what the machine is telling us. And now we try to tweak the machine very quickly because if you cannot tweak the machine very quickly, you do not get the confidence. Yeah, now I see a strange situation. Halloween is coming up. How should I deal with it? Come up with a new rule. And if you cannot test it, if you cannot see that it's really working, then you will never do it. And again, you kick in with your Excel sheets and you take over the business. So this is the very fragile path that businesses have to follow to, to get this right. It's an important point. There's so many companies at the moment, especially the retailers and distributors that are embarking on this digitization strategy, right? And the first level of digitization is just get all the data in a yeah, digital. that's already a big thing. I don't have things sitting on pieces of paper that people have written down because those are never captured and the system can never benefit from that. But once you've got all the data in a digital format, then the question is, what's the next level? And that's where you start thinking about how can I completely automate the implementation of these rules? And yes, human beings should be monitoring them. And if there are suggestions being made by the rules that don't make sense, they should flag them and discuss them. If they find that there's a valid reason not to comply, then, you know, find the rule to break the rule and implement and automate that. But what tends to happen is people look at the numbers that the IT system is generating and say they don't make sense or some of them don't make sense. And they use that as justification to never get to automation. As a result, people are still manually doing all the work. And if you're manually having to do the work and you have 10,000 SKUs, guess what you're going to be doing? Just on a few of them, right? Yeah. And by far the majority, you're going to be leaving and not paying attention to them where you want to be able to remove every excuse that's there to not fully automate the system. Do you think that's possible? Because I, when I studied economics, uh, one of the premises was always perfect information. 
the economic modeling was based on perfect information. What I'm hearing is that you can make the right decision if you have all the information. I still see quite regularly that people overwrite or ignore decisions because they have other information. And then it may well lead to the best decision. What I'm hearing from you is that you say, okay, don't use that other information to change the decision. Yeah, you need to inject more information. How feasible is that? Because there are all kinds of agreements between vendors. There are different unreliable lead times. There are minimum order quantity discounts. And that becomes quite complex, I can imagine. That's one of the reasons why in real world environments, algorithms tend to not perform very well because they're exceptionally data hungry. There's a lot of variables that have to be accurate and timely for the algorithm to actually do the calculations. Heuristics tend to be much simpler. They require much less data, but they also tend to be much more robust. If you think about a real life scenario is when a, a insect is intercepting another insect, they're trying to catch it, or a cheetah is chasing a buck trying to catch it. Mm -hmm. Mathematically, it should be solving some kind of complex set of differential equations, right? That's how a human being would calculate the path of how to make sure that these two intersect at the right point. They don't do that. They have very simple heuristics that allows them get to the beginning of the path and make small modifications as you're moving along. So they're using fast feedback as a major component of getting the decision right. And that, to me, the analogy for retailers, for many, many decades, we were fooled by this myth that we're going to get closer and closer and closer to 100% forecast, right? And that all the investment was going into how can we just get our forecast to be more accurate? Because then we would have perfect availability with the lowest level of inventory. But mathematically, you can't. Much better approach is to have very fast feedback. Yes, you, you have to start off with some kind of guess of how much you'll sell initially, but immediately start learning. I'll give an example in the book publishing industry. When you ask them that first order quantity, right, that the book publisher places onto the printers after hearing what all their customers, the book retailers are likely to sell. So they do a collaborative forecasting thing and then they send that that number back to the printers. You say, well, what is the amount of, of stock days that you're trying to predict? And that first order quantity is they are trying to forecast what they will sell for that book in the next three months. Yeah. And so right. why three months? Well, it has a very historical background that when you add up all the lead times, right, the delay in getting the signal back from the retailers, to getting the printed at the printer to getting that book back delivered. That was about one month plus one month plus one month. That's where the three months came from. But that was decades ago. Today, we can communicate every single day. We get replenishment every single day. Why on earth are we still using this old rule of asking people to forecast what they think they will sell over a three-month period of time? A much better one is to say, listen, what is the maximum you think you'll sell in the next week? That's good mm -hmm. enough. We have to forecast. Okay, but let's forecast for just a very short period of time. 
Okay. It's always easier. So we'll sum all of those up. We'll place the order. But as soon as we start delivering, we'll monitor what's actually selling. And based on what's actually selling, we'll then make a decision whether to replenish or not. And if so, how much? And whether to change the target stock levels and if so, by how much? So building a much more responsive supply chain, it's a much simpler, but also much more robust and effective strategy than a strategy of trying to constantly argue about what's the forecast. Getting people to sign off on the forecast is not actually mathematically improving the forecast accuracy. During the typical forecast sessions, when you work in big organizations, you have this rhythm of sign-offs. And I remember that we were one uh, signing a whole season off and one of the people asked the question, how much sales did you lose because the product wasn't available for people to buy? And you need to, of course, cater for the lost sales and not repeat the same mistake. It's very few times that people actually measure that component and still are able to forecast for the next season, which is uh, very interesting because obviously uh, it is based on a lot of gut feel. Well, they almost view a stock out, you know, as a thing. Oh, we sold everything, you know, fantastic. But you sold everything that you thought would take three months to sell. You sold in three weeks. And now the rest of the time, because you don't have a responsive supply chain, you're basically losing sales of your top seller for, you know, over two months. Yeah, but the marketing department and the supply chain department, this is sometimes where it conflicts, right? Running out may be good from a marketing perspective, but certainly not from a supply chain perspective. But the next thing is then, how would you implement this? And maybe also for Jasper, how can we start doing this? So if you, you're busy with all kinds of initiatives, your people, merchandisers, they have their Excel sheets, yeah. they know AOQ or they want to min max, or they, there's another solution. They all kind of solution that you can buy now quite cheaply and you implement them on an operational level in your organization. How are you going to do this? What are the steps to take? The most important thing is to figure out exactly what the impact is of the decisions you're making. So use the rule you have and then see to what extent those rule are, rules are either harmful or helpful. And uh, look at if it leads to overstocking, if it leads to shortages. And then, as Alan put it, you know, inject the other rules that will make the business better, but simulate what you do before you actually do it. That's the key. The other thing I've learned is uh, question lead times. We just heard a good example on three months in the book industry. I think question lead times counts for everything. It doesn't take three months. It doesn't take six months. But yet we have this organizational cadence that's typical in many organizations, which is also understandable because it provides a huge level of control and management. And yeah, decisions are made on a Monday morning between 10 and 11 because everybody's around the big round table. That will change, of course, because decisions can be made at any time by machines too. Practically. It's question the current processes and see which ones are helpful and which ones are harmful and continuously question the lead time because decisions postponed to when you know more are normally better. You know, today we have digital twin technology that allows us to test the various rules against each other. So that's a massive leap in terms of benefiting from technology. You can actually read in your demand data, your supply lead time data, and simulate the same period, do a direct comparison to say, what would have been the results if we were using min-max with full compliance, EOQ with full compliance, theory of constraints or demand-driven MRP or even AI. You can compare them all directly. Um, what Jasper is saying is also important is to say, below these rules, there's basically three parameters 
that they all use in some kind of form or shape. These are mm -hmm. the leverage points, right? So the total lead time, which is made up of the demand lead time and the supply lead time. The demand lead time is how long do I wait from the moment that there's a consumption until yeah, I place an order yeah. upstream. By far the biggest leverage point in most systems is why aren't you doing that daily? Why wait for a month before you even place the order upstream? That makes no sense, right? Because now you have to carry an additional month of inventory just because somebody decided that we only want to place orders once a month. There's no reason why I can't automate the placement of orders. So that's the first leverage point to look at. How frequently you're placing orders for the same product mm. from the same location. And you might be doing it weekly, monthly, sometimes only once every three months. The second leverage point is then the supply lead time. From the moment that the upstream link has got your order, how long does it take them to reliably get it to your place and to see how can you work with them to find ways of getting that down? And then the last part is what is the total demand, the maximum demand that I expect within that total lead time, right? If I sum up, if my demand lead time is say I place weekly orders, it takes me a week to get it. What's the maximum I expect to sell in two weeks? And is it possible that some of those spikes that we see in demand is not because of real consumption spikes, but because we are offering discounts? Those are the three leverage points, which regardless of which rule you've got to be using, if you are frequently recalculating inventory levels based on whichever rule, you will benefit if you can improve one of those three elements. We're almost at the end of the 30 minutes, guys. But yeah, I like those three points. And that's also what we see with our customers in real life happening. Jasper, maybe for you, some final words. Look, I'm conscious of time. I say speed up and question the processes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a small quote from my side. There is no such thing as best practice, but there's better practice. No. So, so look at what other type of avoidable mistakes that you're making and think about how can I do better? Yeah, for me, it's always, and also here is the process. Start with the simulation. That's cheap. You can do that very quickly. You can see what's going on and then really start to have a process that you really work with, actually become compliant, whatever it is. It can be AI, it can be anything, but get compliant. That's most important. And then you can have a process for ongoing improvement. Good. Thank you for this, guys. What do we want to talk about next week? And Jasper, maybe European regulations for fashion is changing a lot now. Yeah, highly relevant. If we continue to produce more than we consume, then somebody will have to step in and say, look, now it's going to cost more. So that's happening in Europe. And it'll be good to discuss the impact of that on brands and retailers. And how we can support with it. Yeah, great. Okay. Thank you all also for the audience. Thank you very much. We will do this weekly now from now on. So that means that you will find it in LinkedIn and then you can join in or you can see it afterwards. But thank you very much, guys.